Thanks, saints. Always good to be here. I love that song we just sang uh, about the mystery of God, the mystery of Christ. I was sharing with the, uh, in the class this morning how um, I became a believer in 1976, and about 10 years after that, 1986, I began to, 85, 86, just began to burn out, you know, trying to be a good Christian and do all the right things, and with that mixture of law and grace, a little leaven will leaven the whole lump, and uh, eventually just got just totally burned out, just felt like I was a loser, couldn't live this Christian life, and so I put my Bible on the shelf, and after 10 years, and figured the, the Christian battery must have worn out after 10 years or something, and, uh, but I didn't realize what a mixture of law and grace can do in a person's life, and eventually just eat away at the revelation of God's love and his his work in Christ and the grace of God and all of that. Um, And so what happened was in my searching, you know, for answers, I clearly heard the Spirit speak to me about the mystery of Christ. And that's where it started for me. The Spirit said, study what Paul wrote about the mystery of Christ. And I'd never heard a message on the mystery of Christ or the mystery of God And so I went back and looked at Paul's letters, and sure enough, Paul referred to the mystery of Christ and the mystery of the gospel, and uh, he referred to the secret that was hidden in God and not revealed to the sons of men until Christ came. Uh, Something so secret that God kept it even from the angels, that the angels longed to look into what you and I have have seen and what has been revealed to us. Uh, Moses couldn't preach this secret. He didn't know it. The prophets didn't know it. Uh, It was something totally kept secret. And not revealed until Christ came. And that was my problem. I had not really heard anything new than what Moses could have preached. About obedience and about the law and about repentance and about judgment and about holiness. And all these things that Moses preached. But I didn't hear anything different that Moses couldn't preach himself. But then the Spirit showed me that what Jesus did, what he came to do, was so different. So different that the disciples of Moses would oppose it. That those who preached the law and were dedicated to God, dedicated to Torah, would oppose this revelation. And of course, that's what happened. The apostle Paul was, was, he was threatened. His life was threatened. He once was a a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was once um, among his contemporaries, someone who was rising among their ranks uh, in terms of, of the law and Judaism and so forth. And yet, when he saw what God did in Christ, he became enemy number one to all of those who love the Ten Commandments. Enemy number one to all those who love the law of God. So this secret was so different, so different, that it would change everything. Change everything. Um, that's why they call the apostles the people that have turned the world upside down because the message of Christ literally turns the world upside down. It turns religion upside down. It turns everything upside down because it's not like men suppose. The scripture says, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven does not come like men think. It doesn't come like men think. The scripture says that his ways are different from our ways as the heavens are above the earth. His thoughts are different from our thoughts as far as the heavens are above the earth. It's so different from our way of thinking because we are thinking through fallen brains and through uh, a marred image of God from the fall in the garden. Because we ate of the wrong tree, our fathers ate of the wrong tree, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and not the tree of life. So anyway, that's how it all started for me. To just, and it began to unravel this revelation of the mystery of Christ and, and what he did and And what happened was that I was sensing this revelation on the inside of me, but I couldn't articulate it very well. And I still have the old cassette tape. The first time I shared this publicly was in 1985 in a church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I had the old cassette tape, and I was trying to uh, share what was exploding inside of me. And I remember that day was so funny because I was like, couldn't articulate what was happening, what I was seeing and, and people were like, I was trying to share this mystery of Christ. It's awesome. And then and they were like going like this. And they were going like, okay, what, what? What's the mystery? What? 
what? What is the mystery? And I, and I couldn't even articulate. And there was a cross behind me, you know, in the, the church I was sharing with. And I said, it's, it's, you see it? It's the cross. You know, it's like, and they're going. So it's, it's like that. You know, you have this revelation. You can't articulate it. It takes, sometimes it takes years to be able to speak what's exploding inside of you. Well, this morning, there's something exploding inside of me, and I hope I can articulate it. There's something really, really cool about what it means to be in the Spirit. I want to share some thoughts. Paul wrote some thoughts about living in the Spirit and walking by the Spirit. This is a part one. Next Sunday, the Lord willing, will be part two. This morning, I want to share some thoughts about what it means just to be in the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 says that since we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Next Sunday, I really want to share some thoughts about what, it, what it's, how to walk in the Spirit, what I've learned about how to walk in the Spirit and what that looks like next Sunday what I've learned about how to walk in the Spirit and what that looks like. You see, the problem with religion, they take Paul's writings at the end of his letter when he describes what this looks like, and they make what, they make what Paul said this new life looks like, they make that commandments to keep. He's describing the fruit of a tree. And they take the description of the fruit of a tree that has life from a seed and they take the description of this behavior in his letters and make them commandments to keep. And that's what they missed the whole point. And they make the description of the life of Christ law and missing, missing what God is, is saying through the apostle. So next Sunday, the Lord willing, I want to talk about what it means to, to walk in the Spirit and what that looks like. But to, today, I want to share some thoughts about what it means to be in the Spirit. Because if we don't really understand what it what it means to be in the Spirit, then we can't begin to, to walk in the Spirit. Paul says, since we are living in or by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Two different things. Paul said, as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. Two different things. As we receive Christ Jesus, so also walk in him. So, so what does it mean to be in the Spirit, and, and, and how does one get in the Spirit? How does a person get placed in the Spirit? First of all, what I really have learned is that God teaches us by contrast. He teaches us by contrast. In the very beginning of Genesis, you hear God speaking about, and the first day was evening, and day, the first day, evening, night and day, Light and darkness. God teaches us what light is like by showing us darkness. Sometimes light is, is clearly seen when it's up against darkness. We can see what it's really like. He teaches us by contrast. There are two covenants in the scripture. Old covenant, new covenant. There are two mountains. The Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, Hebrews talks about. There were two trees in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Contrast to show us the way, to show us the truth. The enemy seeks to hide the truth by confusing the two contrasts. If he can confuse the two contrasts, you're blind to the contrast. You're blind to the truth. That's the enemy's tactic is to confuse the two. Even the tree itself was a mixture of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. So to mix the two covenants is to hide the covenant. The scripture says that Satan can make himself appear as an angel of light and his ministers, ministers of righteousness. So if you have the grace of God being proclaimed, but added to the grace of God, the law of God, You've hidden the truth. That's the enemy's tactic. Okay, let me try to explain what I've been feeling. This is so cool. Well, first, let me say this. Jesus was very clear about the fact that he was bringing an entirely new thing 
entirely new. He would fulfill all things that the law of Moses required. He was born of a woman, born under the law, to fulfill all things. But in his resurrection, through his death and resurrection, he began an entirely new thing. The prophets saw this. They didn't understand it, but the prophets saw this. They said, consider not the things of old. Behold, I do a new thing. Consider not the things of old. Behold, I do a new thing. When he died on the cross, the veil of the temple was rent in two, signifying the end of the temple made with hands, the end of the priesthood on earth, the end of the sacrifices of bulls and goats, the end, and the end of the Ten Commandments as law to obey in order to please God or as a means of righteousness, the end of all of that. A whole new beginning. A whole new thing was coming in Christ. And when Jesus spoke, he would say things like this. He said, he said no man takes a shirt, an old shirt with a hole in it, and then takes a new shirt and cuts a hole in the new shirt so he can patch up the hole in the old shirt. He said, no one does that. First of all, the new patch will not work on the old shirt because when you wash it, it'll shrink. Jesus said it'll pull away from the, from the stitches. It'll, it won't work. The other shirt's already been shrunk. And you just ruined a brand new shirt. Got a hole in it now. So nobody does that. What did he say? Throw the old shirt away and put on the new shirt. No man takes wine New wine and puts it in old wineskins, Jesus said, because the old wineskins have already stretched. They've, they've hardened. The leather has hardened through the fermentation of the wine within the wineskin. So it's stretched and it's set. So if you put new wine into old wineskins, there's no way for it to stretch. It's already hardened, and so it will crack with the fermentation of the new wine, and it'll crack, and then you'll ruin the wineskin, and the wine will spill out. No man does that, he says. You put new wine and new wineskins. He was trying to prepare them for this new thing that was coming. The woman in Samaria was saying, we Samaritans worship in this mountain, and you Jews worship in Jerusalem in that mountain. Which mountain is the right mountain to worship in? And Jesus said, oh, woman... The hour is coming, and now is, that the true worshipers will not worship in this mountain or in that mountain in Jerusalem. For the true worshipers will worship my Father in spirit and in truth, for such the Father seeks for his worshipers. Now, the word truth there means reality. It means the real. The temple's a shadow of the good thing that was coming. The priesthood was a shadow of the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek that was coming, the heavenly priesthood. The sacrifices were a shadow of the Lamb of God that was coming. Everything was shadows of the substance that was coming, which is Christ. And so what Jesus is saying here is that the true worshipers now with what he was bringing would be those who worship in another place. Not in that mountain, not in this mountain, but in another place dimension while on earth in the spirit and in the reality the real not pictures of the real but the real itself for such the father seeketh such to worship him for in that place in that place there is immediate presence there is union for he who is joined to the lord is one spirit in the real, in the real. For we know that all things we see with our eyes have been made by the unseen. That which appears, Hebrew says, has been made by that which does not appear. Paul says that the invisible things of God are clearly seen and understood by the things which have been made, created. But that's not the real. What has been created is a picture of the invisible real. Paul says, look, not on that which is seen, but that which is unseen. For that which is seen is temporary, but that which is unseen is eternal. For that which is seen is a picture of the unseen. 
the seed, the tree, the sun, the stars, the moon, the mountains, the four seasons, all these things speak of unseen realities in God. The flower fades and passes away, but the truth that that flower speaks is forever. You see, we live in the unseen reality. The true worshipers of the Father are those who worship in spirit and in the real, in the reality. Okay, this is, this is what I'm going to try to say. That is so cool. God God does things all or nothing. Paul said, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. There is, this is the message he has given us to proclaim, John says. What, John? That if you're in him, there is no darkness in you. You were once darkness. I was once darkness. Now I am light in the Lord. Saints, you and I have literally, by the hand of God, been translated from the kingdom of this darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. You, saint of God, you are holy, blameless, You have been created in Him, raised in Him. You and I are truly light. There are only two kinds of people in the world. There are the people in darkness and the people in light. There is no mixture. There's no in-between. The guys in darkness cannot do enough good deeds to get in the light. And the guys in light cannot do enough bad deeds to get in the darkness. It is an act of creation. If you're a son, you're an heir. And if you're a son, you've been raised by the light. This is so awesome, saints. Understanding how he does that perfectly answers all this progressive sanctification stuff. Saints, you are not progressively getting more and more bright. Remember the, the three lamps we did, you know, with the covering? Yes, as it appears to men, we may be shining brighter than others because of the revelation. Our minds are renewed, maybe to a greater degree than someone who is young in the faith, and they, they're learning, and they're manifesting more of Christ. But that person at the end, we take the, the lampshades off, the lights are the same. A hundred watt bulb because with the moment they were born of him, they were as him. We are as he is in this world. You are light. This is the gospel that turned the world upside down. And understanding the way God quarantined the power of sin in our members is key. It's in all the apostolic writings to understand that he quarantined the power of sin in our mortal body, in our members. Colossians says he cut away the body of the flesh. He cut away the body of the flesh, the true circumcision of which the circumcision with Abraham was a picture, another picture. When the Spirit of God came into you because you simply believed on what Jesus did, a great mystery took place. The fire of God, the blue flame of the Holy Spirit came and touched your spirit, your human spirit, and joined himself with us because of your faith in what Jesus did. And in that union, that mingling, that spirit overflowed over your soul and cut away the body of the flesh, separating you and I from our sin as far as the east is from the west. You're in another dimension. That's why your sin cannot touch you. 
You have been moved into another realm. Truly the kingdom of heaven has come. And the authority of the Christ has come. Jesus said to Paul, tell them, tell them what I did, that they may receive freedom from the authority of darkness and receive the authority of the Son of God. You and I walk around as light. We walk around complete, perfect, complete. Now, when you, you and I die and we leave this body, you will know all things even as you are known by God instantly, the Scripture says. While we are in this body, we see through a glass darkly. We prophesy in part. We speak in part. But then we will see face to face when we leave these bodies. Paul had an experience like that when he said, I couldn't tell if I was in the body or out of the body, in the body or out of the body. But he had an experience where God showed him what it's like to be outside the body, and he saw it. He saw how complete we are in Christ. So he could proclaim it with power and confidence. We feel weak because we're supposed to feel weak in ourselves. We have this treasure in weak earthen vessels that the excellency of the power is clearly seen to be of God and not of ourselves. God set it up that way. The DNA that is inside of you, the divine nature that is inside of us, is a nature that that cries out, without the Father, I can do nothing. As the Son cried out, without the Father, I can do nothing. The Son in us cries, Abba, Father, without you, I can do nothing. So in this place of union with him, we live, as the Scripture says, as he was crucified in weakness, he was, he was raised by the power of God. So also are we weak with him, but live by the power of his life. See? So I boast in my need of God. I boast in my sense of weakness in, in the terms of needing God. I boast in that, Paul said, that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Knowing that I'm light. Knowing that I'm holy and blameless and all those things that he made it to be. The scripture in the Old Testament says, God said, do not wear a garment with a mixture of wool and cotton. Do not mix Wool and cotton in the garment you wear. This is Old Testament law. It's a parable teaching us of things now in Christ. God said, don't, don't plow with an ox and a donkey. A picture of mixture, a parable in the Old Testament. The ox was a clean animal under the law. The donkey was an unclean animal. God is saying flesh and spirit cannot mix. Jesus said, he who is born of the flesh is flesh, but he who is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus did not say he was born of the Spirit is now flesh and spirit. No. See, saints, see, when you're and I born of the Spirit, we totally are a new creation. We're not of the flesh anymore. That's why Romans says, if the Spirit of Christ dwells within you, you are no longer in the flesh. Romans 8. And there's a lot of bad teaching out there that says when you, when you uh, because of your performance, if you don't act right, then you're out of the Spirit, and when you act right, you're back in the Spirit. That's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that if the Spirit of Christ dwells within you, you are no longer in the flesh, period, as a state of being. Yes, we can walk after the Spirit or walk after the flesh. We're going to talk about that next Sunday, what that means. But even if you're walking after the flesh, does not change the truth that you're still in the Spirit, isn't that awesome? See, that's, that's the truth, the reality that we are actually as a state of being, as a person. It's a matter of identity and not performance. It's who I am. Who I am. I'm a son. Because I'm a son, I'm an heir. Think of that word heir. How do you inherit things? Do you inherit things because you do good deeds? Or do you inherit things because you're, re you're related? You could be the worst scoundrel for, uh, in the world out in California, and they, they read the will. Yeah, Billy Bob, he gets, he gets everything. Call Billy Bob in California. He's the son, the only son. He gets it all. Because he's an heir. It's not by wage, Paul says. If it was by wage, 
then we could say, yeah, you, you just lost your inheritance. You just lost your wage. But it's not by wage, Paul says. It's by inheritance. We must be born again. We must come from above. We must be from above to be his heir. That's what's so awesome about heaven. Only, the only people that go to heaven are the people that are from heaven. You're going back to where you're from. Paul says, our mother is new Jerusalem above. We are like the wind. The people see the wind come and go. They know not where it comes from or where it's going. So are you who are born of the Spirit. The world doesn't know where you're from or where you're going. You are from him. And you're going back to him. It's not a matter of performance. It's a matter of identity. God breathed into Adam. God breathed into Adam. And he became a living soul. What God did, saints, I believe, is that he, by his own breath, by his own spirit, he created in, in the clay that he made in the form of a man. He made a man who laid there, and he breathed his own spirit into Adam and created a human spirit within man by his own breath. Now, God was not in union with Adam. He was walking with Adam, but he wasn't in union with Adam. He created the human spirit by his own breath. So Adam was able to stand up and live, a living soul, but not in union with God. The tree of life, had he eaten of the tree of life, he would have been in union with God. But God walked with Adam. He was with Adam, but not in Adam, not inside Adam. And so what does this say to us, saints? God's way, God's purpose has never been to give man things to do so he could love man or not love man. God's way was to create man in the very beginning with a spirit so that God, who is spirit, could live inside of man. The prophet said the day is going to come when the God of Israel will not just be with us, but he shall be in us. And God himself shall walk in us. That's what we have. Jesus said, the truth is with you. He spoke to his disciples. He said, the truth is with you, but it shall be in you. Okay, saints, this is awesome. This one truth would change the church. The, this one reality that the, the apostles all preached. That inside of you, inside of you now, not just, you're not just in Christ in a metaphorical way. And Christ is not in you in just some metaphorical way. And Christ is, 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 Christ is in us in a local, immediate way. He's inside your body. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Presence. The presence of God is inside your body if you believe. Now, the presence. Oh my gosh. This one truth would change how we teach in the church. You're not trying to get somewhere. You're trying to get people to see where they are. You're not trying to get people to do things so they can get the presence. You're telling people you have the presence. See. Believe. Stand still and see the salvation of God. That no flesh can glory in his presence. He did it. Doggone it, he did it. <laughs> he really did it. He took away the sin of the world and gave us himself. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Christ is in you and the darkness touches you not. The scripture says, a circumcision made without hands, God has actually brought you and I to his place prepared by God. What is this place? What is this place? We have missed it in the church so royally. We sing songs about how he went to prepare a place for me, to make mansions for me in the sky. Where Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, that, that where I am you may be also. 
mansions in the sky someday, 2,000 years maybe later. No. The Greek word there is translated correctly in the New American Standard. The Greek word is dwelling places. There are many dwelling places in my father's house, not mansions. The King James Version put the word mansions in there because of the poor, to give the poor hope in the 16th century, to give the the peasants hope that one day they'll, working for the king, one day they'll go to heaven. They talked about mansions to help them cope with life as the kings took advantage of the peasants. No, dwelling places. He didn't go to build mansions. He made the earth and the universe in six days. Doesn't take 2,000 years to build your house. No, he said this. He said, go back and read John 14, 15, and 16. The Gospel of John 14, 15, and 16 and see this awesome truth. He said, after a little while, I'm going to leave you. And Peter said, I want to go. And Jesus said, you can't go with me now, but you'll follow me later. Ooh. How long is later? When Peter dies? No. You'll follow me later. After a little while. He said after a little while, like five, six, seven times in those three chapters. In fact, so much that the apostles ask him, what are you talking about after a little while? After a little while. After you go to the Father and after a little while, we'll see you, we'll see you again. What are you talking about? And he said this. He said, I'm going to leave you for a little while, and the world is going to rejoice. But you will see me again, and no man will take that joy from you. He was talking about three days. He goes, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come back. I will not leave you as orphans. That where I am, you may be also. He prepared a place in himself. He said to the Pharisees, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. Not knowing, the scripture says, that he was referring to his own body as the true temple of God or house of God. Jesus is the true house that was raised in three days. In my Father's house, in me are many dwelling places. We have become, Paul says, living stones in this temple, in this house. Living stones, a habitation of God by the Spirit. Saints, he didn't, he didn't say he was going away for 2,000 years and coming back to build your house in the heavens and then come back. No, he is coming back. He is coming back physically. As he left, he shall come again with glory in the skies and every eye shall see him. Yes, he's coming back physically. When the heavens will roll away and the stars will seem to fall because the, the fabric of the universe shall warp and the unseen shall come into the scene. It will look as if the stars are falling, but it's just the warp of time. And he will come with glory and blazing light with his angels. Yes, he's coming again. But I'm telling you, saints, he has already prepared a place for you and I that we are to live every day on earth with him now. We are in him and he is in us. He said, Father, I pray, John 17, Father, I pray that as I am in you and you are in me, I pray that they would be in me and I in them. The Father and the Son, the Son and the Father, and now the Son in you and you in the Son. You know what the mystery of Christ is, the mystery of God is? It's not as some men suppose. It's not that the Gentiles are going to be saved. That's not it. They misread, they misread the scripture in Ephesians. That's not it. No, this is huge. This is big. Bigger than that. It's not Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's not the mystery of Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is not the mystery. They misread the scriptures in Paul. Because that means you are the center of all things. If the, if the mystery of everything is Christ in you, in Christ in me, then that means me. I'm, I'm the center of all things. No, that's not it. That's not the mystery. That's not the secret that was hidden in God. Paul says, the riches of the glory of the mystery is Christ in you. The wealth of the mystery, the wealth, the riches of the glory of this mystery is now Christ is inside of you. But that's the riches of it. That's not it. The mystery of Christ is Christ. Christ 
was hidden. A son. The word. Within the words of God. Not revealed. They had no idea that their Messiah would be God in the flesh. They had no idea that the, the wheel within the wheel was God in the flesh. For the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The great secret, the mystery of Christ, the hidden truth of Christ is that God himself would come as a man on earth. God on earth. And he would die and take our judgment. The mystery continues and extends to his work. For you cannot separate the incarnation from his work. Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He came. He came. You prepared for me a body that I might offer it up. He came. God came to take our judgment for all our sin, for all time, for all men. It's awesome. That's the great secret that the Jews tried to stone him to death because they called it blasphemy. They didn't see the secret, the hidden mystery of Christ. And saints, the son who was hidden in the bosom of the father that no man knew but the father, not even the angels. The son was not even revealed to Lucifer. He did not know the hidden mystery. Had he understood it, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. God did not even tell the angels about the Son. Knowing that Lucifer would fall and not know, not know. And saints, the Son who was hidden in the Father, not known by anyone but the Father, and now revealed by the Father, the riches of the glory of that mystery is now the Son who was hidden in the Father, is now hidden in you. Your life, Paul said. He said, no, you're not. You've all died in Christ. We were crucified with him. And your life is now hidden. Colossians, your life is now hidden with Christ. Inside the Father. You talk about a safe place. You and I are hidden with the Son in the bosom of the Father. So safe. And you know what we've been brought into? Where we've, we've been brought into. What is this place we've been brought into? Through the Son. Saints, we've been brought into the fellowship with the Father and the Son. We've been called into this love, this impenetrable love between Father and Son. Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, I pray that I would be in them and, I, and they in me that they may know that the love you have for me, you have for them. The same love the Father has for Jesus. The same love the Father, Father has for Jesus is the same love he has for Jay. Same love. Same love for Mike. Same. And you know what else? God sees you and I. Not like Clark says, not because we have, you know, he sees us through the veil of Jesus, you know, because so, he doesn't really, he couldn't stand us to see us as we are, so he has we have to put Jesus in front of us. No. The Father sees you and I as a new creation raised by him after his own image. You bear the mark and the image of his only beloved. That's the real you. That's the real you. That's the real you. That's the real you. What you do because of the flesh, because of the power of sin in the flesh, is not the real you. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. He said, he said to his disciples, if you hang out with me, if you stick with me, 
I know I'm saying some weird things like eat my flesh and drink my blood, but if you stick with me, if you stick with me, if you'll follow me, you're going to come to know the truth, the real, and the real will make you free. You are light. He did it. The real you. As Jesus is, so are we in this world now. He, our head, we, his body, one. Bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. God did it. He did it. Look not on that which is seen, but that which is unseen. As the mind is renewed, the greater manifestation of who you really are comes out. You'll find yourself acting in kindness and in love and forgiveness and mercy like never before because it's the real you getting out as we rest in him and abide in him. We shall bear much fruit, Jesus said. Much fruit as the real you gets out. And as we see each other, no more after the flesh, but after the spirit, encouraging our brother and sister who they are in Christ, seeing each other after the spirit, not after the flesh. A powerful thing, a dynamic, a heavenly dynamic takes place where we begin to manifest the unseen of who we really are. I was watching cable the other day in this, this documentary, I think it was Discovery Channel, but it was, it was so cool about talking about the butterfly and the, the caterpillar. It's so awesome how creation speaks of the invisible things of God. It's so awesome. All of creation. And the caterpillar, the scientist was saying, what happens with the caterpillar is, is, is amazing. They don't know how it happens. It's like when, they, when the caterpillar goes in the cocoon, it's not that he just sits there in the cocoon and then after a certain period of time, he begins to grow wings. What happens, saints, is that in the cocoon, he dissolves. He dissolves into muck. Just, he dissolves. The DNA dissolves. It's like this jelly thing inside the cocoon. No form. And then at a, after a certain amount of time, God has made it so that the DNA inside the caterpillar begins to move cells in certain places where the head is formed and the legs are formed and the wings are formed. A whole new creation from muck. If God can do that with a butterfly, how much more can you do that with us? And he does that as a picture of what he did in us. A new creation, completely new, not refurbished, completely new. In fact, in the Greek, it says a new species. You know what your species is? What my species is now? It's neither Jew nor Gentile. It's neither male nor female. It's neither rich or poor. It's neither black or white. You know what your species is now? You are called now. The sons and daughters of the Most High God, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Woo! No longer from below, but from above. He's done it. He's done it. I was listening to that song that uh, Barbara Streisand sings. Others have sung it also. It's called Somewhere, A Place for Us. You know that song? There's a place for us. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> I love that song because it talks about the yearning of the human spirit to find a place. Somewhere, somehow, a place for us. But... <laughs> But it's so awesome because it's the yearning of the human spirit to look for a place, a place of peace. The words of the song are awesome. A place, a place of forgiveness, a place of peace, a place for us, a place of rest. Somewhere, somehow, take my hand, I'll take you there. We're halfway there. The song goes, take my hand, I'll take you there. They're yearning for Christ. They're yearning for the secret place of the Most High. They're yearning for the place that God has prepared 
Revelation chapter 12 says that God prepared a place for the woman. Speaking of the bride, God prepared a place for the woman where she would be nourished and protected from the face of the dragon. And the scripture says the dragon opened his mouth and a flood came out of the dragon to wash the woman away from her place of peace and rest. The scripture says John is seeing this vision. And the scripture says that something very unusual happened. The woman didn't take a sword and try to defend herself. The woman didn't flee. The woman just stayed, stood still and rested. But something else, something else happened. Amazing in the vision. This is in chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. Scripture says the earth opened her mouth and swallowed the flood that came from the dragon's mouth. What is that a picture of, saints? That's a picture of words coming from the dragon, words that are full of mixture of law and grace, mixture. And the earth speaks of the invisible things of God in creation itself, the caterpillar and all these things that are out there for us to see. The lilies, Jesus said, consider the lilies of the field, the birds of the air. See the Father's love. See his care. All these things, the earth will open her mouth. It's awesome. By the Spirit, we can see the things of Christ that are in all of creation. The one Bible that every person reads is the creation. Spirit of God will reveal these things to us. So just in closing, what does it mean to be in the Spirit? It means to be in the Son. It means to be in Him. To be in him is to be one with him in a place of incredible rest. A new creation has come. Abba, we cry out Abba, Papa. God has become our father. We are his sons and daughters. Awesome reality. God doesn't mix law and grace. He doesn't mix light and darkness. He doesn't mix life and death. Notice the tree of life is not the tree of the knowledge of life and death. It's the tree of life. God is single. It's all Christ. Paul says, I'm afraid that the enemy is trying to move you away from the singleness, the simplicity of Christ to another gospel, to another Jesus, which is not another, as as Satan did Eve in the garden. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians, moving moving them away from the tree of life to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil right and wrong and that's why God responded to Adam and said who told you you were naked how did you know you were naked that's not my way my way is for you to look at me to know me to be with me to walk with me for I am the way and the truth and the life Jesus said We shall know the truth, and the truth shall make us free. It's better than we ever dreamed. It's something only God could do. For only God can raise the dead and call into being that which did not exist before. Such is the nature of our new covenant. There are only two covenants, two big covenants in the Bible. Old covenant of law, new covenant of grace. All the other covenants in the scripture speak of this great dichotomy. Covenant of it with Adam, covenant with Noah, covenant with Abraham, covenant with David. All are little covenants that speak of the big one because we must see the contrast of law and grace. If we don't, we're blind and the veil remains. In the reading of the old covenant, the veil remains. You must see this is essential. The issue is law and grace. Only then is the veil parted. Only then do we see him and we see ourselves in him 
For to look at the glory of God in the face of Christ, Paul says, is like looking in a mirror. You see yourself. How can these things be? How can these things be? If you're not asking that question, you're not seeing it because it is amazing grace. Behold the glory of God in the face of Christ and see your own face. A man who looks at him, his face in a mirror and forgets what he looks like. James says is a man who will not be in power to be who he is you are light in the Lord great power is inside of you he is inside of you Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your awesomeness. Thank you, splendid, magnificent, unspeakable gift. Oh, God, we shall know the truth, the real, and the real shall set us free. As you said to Pilate that day, for this purpose, the Son of Man has come into the world to bear witness to the real, to the real. Come unto me, all you heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. And you shall find rest for your souls. Come to me, my beloved. Run with me. I see no spot in you and no wrinkle or any such thing. Come to me, my bride. Come to me. Fear not. Let us run together. together.